Welcome to the Stress Nanny Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Miller, and I'm delighted that you're here. Today, I'm going to share with you three insights to help you make friends with your brain. I will outline the three insights first and then go into more detail on each with the hope that by the end of the podcast, you have a little better understanding of the brain and you can begin to cultivate a relationship with it that is a little more harmonious. Most of the time, we are at odds with our brain. We get frustrated with it. It doesn't always do what we want it to do. And we find ourselves in a position where we aren't fully utilizing it with its capacity. When we can create a team with our brain and learn to appreciate what it's trying to do and how it's trying to do it, it's a lot easier to work with it and come into a more synergistic relationship with our whole body, actually. So the first one, there is a you that is not your brain. Many religious traditions, mine included, have a belief around the body and the spirit. So the spirit inhabiting the body and have, you know, having an experience in the body is key to the development of the spirit. One of the things that really shifted in my religious understanding of this when I started practicing yoga was the integration of the mind. Prior to that, in my religious upbringing, I hadn't really had a lot of teaching around the mind as its own entity. I had kind of just looped all the body together into one big category and assumed that it was spirit plus body, which I believe is the case. However, when we kind of bring the mind into its own function, we can note the ways that it really does impact our spirituality and also our experience in the body, which makes it a key component of the spirit body duo. So instead, I like to think of it as a triad of body, mind, and spirit. Now, most religious practices, again, mine included, have some aspects of them that tend toward helping the mind, meditation, pondering, prayer. Those are all things intended to kind of bring the mind into this space of spirituality. But frequently, we maybe gloss over those or don't always use them to their fullest in helping to calm the mind and allowing it to work for us. I'm going to share a brief example. So prior to my understanding of the mind as its own entity, I would offer up prayers that would look like just kind of stream of consciousness. So whatever your religious tradition is, um, I totally honor and respect. In my religious tradition, I pray several times a day. And so the prayers that I would offer, they would frequently just be me rattling off all the things I was worried about, me asking for help with the things I was scared about, and me trying to make sense of uh, my experiences. I think all of those things are fantastic prayer topics. At the same time, once I started to practice yoga and once I started to meditate and I started to calm the fluctuations of the mind, which is one of the goals of yoga, calming the fluctuations of the mind or stilling the fluctuations of the mind. Once I started to do that and meditate and kind of uh, observe my thoughts 
before taking them heavenward, I realized there was so much more depth that I could be approaching heaven with than just like the surface level worries that were always floating across my brain. Because I would be praying about the same things and the same fears and the same worries, which are valid. They're valid for all of us. At the same time, I wasn't connecting with a level of depth in my religious practice that was allowing me to kind of move through those and on to deeper spiritual growth. And so once I started practicing yoga and started to consider my mind as its own entity and my spirit as the thing that inhabited my body and had the opportunity to control my mind or to work with my mind, then this whole new vista of spirituality opened up to me. And it actually really strengthened and deepened the religious practice that I currently have, which is very um, common for a lot of people. Any kind of spiritual practice, you know, when we can tether it with insights from another one, frequently we can, you know, access greater depth. And so as I started to meditate before praying in the morning and meditate before praying at night, I realized that I stopped having such rote recitations um, in my prayers. I stopped having quite as many verbal stream of consciousness prayers and more, here's where I am. This is what I've tried. This is where I could use support. Um, Please help me to see. See where you are. See where like my path is. See the things that I need to be doing right now or the, the opportunities that are in front of me. Help me to access them with grace. Some of those shifts really resulted in, like I said, greater depth and also for me, greater understanding of how really the spirit inhabiting this body also has a responsibility to help the mind serve as a tool for the body and not get taken away by the mind, not get lost in the sea of thoughts that that usually flow through the mind. And so I think really accessing this idea that there is a you beyond your mind is key. That being said, I really recognize that our brains have a big impact on our experience. And so it's not a practice that you're just going to decide to do and then all of a sudden be able to have your spirit watching your mind all the time. It doesn't work that way. It just takes practice. And over time with practice, you strengthen the connections that allow that. There are some lines of thought that don't agree with this and that say that the spirit like is not a thing and that the brain is all there is. Um, But that's not the belief system that I adopt. And so I have a strong belief that as we use our spirit to use the mind as a tool and to recognize that there is opportunity to have the mind serve the body and the spirit's purpose, that we really land ourselves in a place of empowerment. Just one more way to illustrate this before we move on to the next point is that if you consider the brain like it grows with the body, right? So the mind um, is the, you know, in utero, the brain is growing, growing, growing. And then, you know, child development, the brain is growing, growing, growing. Adult development, the brain is growing, growing, growing. And then at at the end of our lives, the spirit is going to leave the body, right? That which lights the body up, it goes somewhere else. But the brain stays with the body. And so it's really important to understand that that you that's beyond your mind, that you that inhabits your body, 
That's the you that we're talking about here when we say you are not your mind. Accessing that you deepens all aspects of spirituality because you really can tune into the you that is separate from this beautiful vehicle that uh, your spirit resides in right now. So that's the first point. The second point is your brain has a personality. So in Ayurveda, which is the sister of yoga, there are this, there's this idea of constitutions. And there are three different types of constitutions, and you can have a mix of them. But one of the things that your constitution points to is the personality of your brain. So like a kapha constitution has a more steady brain, a really task-oriented brain, like methodical, and that those brains can be a little more prone to depression. Sometimes they can take a while to kind of get going and be a little sluggish, but they're actually very hardy in terms of their ability to kind of just go and keep with the task and go... Um, for extended periods of time, like endurance is a quality of kapha. And so that's one type of brain personality. Another type of brain personality is pitta. Pitta brains are usually very active. Uh, their brain, The brain makes a lot of connections. It is fiery and always on. So just really hard to turn off that kind of brain. Uh, it can have a tendency toward more emotions like anger or just being really quick to to respond to something or quick-witted or speed is a quality of a pitta brain. Um, it can also be prone to burnout. So a brain that can just get overwhelmed and feel a little bit like it's uh, gone too far and done too much. So that can be a quality of a pitta brain. Uh Vada brain can be the personality of that brain is that it's very creative. It can tend toward more anxiety. Uh, it can get easily distracted, be a little bit more flighty. And the really the depth of connection that a Vada brain can have is beautiful. It can really just synthesize uh, creative aspects of being and bring them all together. So artistic people sometimes have a more Vata brain personality. So those aren't hard and fast. And like I said, you can have combinations of them. But one of the things that I noticed, especially in my autoimmune journey, was I started to see these tendencies that I had, that other people had. And I was like, we all have kind of these similar tendencies. And Ayurveda helps kind of place those in a way that promotes balance. So with uh, Ayurvedic understanding of brain personality, what you do is you don't just take the label and run with it and either sit with it and be enthusiastic or cry about it or whatever. You take the label and then you, you seek balance. So Ayurveda teaches that balance comes when we match the inherent quality of our brain's personality, of our body's constitutional type, with uh, opportunities and experiences that balance it. So for someone who is a pitta brain and their brain is always on and maybe they might have a hard time falling asleep because they're like just making lists in their head and they can't stop thinking and those kinds of brains, they maybe need to balance with a little more slow 
down routine at night. They maybe need to balance with making a list before they kind of start their bedtime routine and then letting that list go and not having a list by the side of the bed and adding to it all night long. Like with the Kapha brain personality, it can help to be connected to other people who are maybe a little bit more upbeat or who can provide a certain amount of support and in motivation. Because once a Kapha brain gets going, it doesn't need a whole lot more. It just will go, go, go. But it, it maybe needs a little bit of help to get started. So giving the Kapha brain a community of people who can help it to kind of get moving, get get thinking and get creative can be really helpful. Uh, with the Vata brain personality, you can also, you know, have some things that keep on task. So maybe reminders or using like a timer to help keep on task for a certain amount of time before moving to a different task or making sure that there is creative outlet. Because if a Vata brain doesn't have a creative outlet, um, it, it gets really erratic. And so it needs to have that. So anyway, these different, there's a lot more to it than that. But I just want you to understand the gist of it, which is that your brain probably has certain tendencies. So if you tend toward anxiety, or if you tend toward getting angry really quick, or if you tend toward being depressed, those are things that in Ayurveda, the teaching is to seek out experiences that balance those qualities of your being, and also to recognize the other beautiful aspects of your brain that are maybe not at the forefront when things are rough or you're super anxious or having a hard time focusing, you know? And so understanding that the brain, just like a person, has some strengths and it's got some weaknesses. And like we all have them and we can kind of group ourselves a little bit into these categories. And by doing so, the intent is, again, not to label as much as it's to pare down the list of things that we can use to help us. So if we know what we need to balance our tendencies, it's a lot easier to go get that thing rather than sifting through a bunch of ideas and getting overwhelmed and frustrated because what we're trying isn't working. Ayurveda and these ideas of brain personalities give us the space to work through what balance looks like for us using the wisdom of other people, things other people have tried. I have classes on this coming up next year. So if this is something you're interested in. It's something I find completely fascinating. Uh, stay tuned for more on that. But just remember that when you're working with your brain's personality, it's not stagnant. It's not something that is not going to change, but you may have some tendencies that are just your tendencies. And so learning to work with those tendencies is important. Now, the third thing, your brain is trying to keep you alive and safe. So we're going to talk a little bit here about the historical use of the brain, which was really to help people avoid danger, right? And like see danger for what it was, find food and stay alive. And so there are some aspects of the brain that are still really geared toward this, specifically the amygdala, which is a little part of the brain in the back. And it, its role is to keep us alive. So fight, flight, or freeze is what the amygdala manages. Now, the amygdala doesn't have a lot of other options when it comes to responses other than fight, flight, or freeze. And so in instances where the amygdala is triggered or you feel threatened, you are going to probably have one of those responses, either lashing out or kind of freezing or trying to just escape from the situation. 
And the amygdala is really, really great at that、uh, role. It's fantastic at it. And it's important that we have the amygdala because there are moments when we really need to have our nervous system ramp up and prepare us to be able to mount a response. So some of the things that happen is like blood comes to our core when the amygdala triggers our body. Blood comes to the core. Um, from the extremities, you know, our heart rate kind of s- starts to quicken, so that our body has the reserves and the energy that it needs to really react and respond. The trouble is, is, the amygdala doesn't always know when we're facing something that's extremely stressful and life-threatening, and when we're facing low-grade stress. Because we have so much low-grade stress, just as a natural part of our world, the amygdala easily gets confused. And it doesn't always understand when we need to be in full panic mode and really reactive, and when we just need to take a deep breath. And that's where the prefrontal cortex comes in. So the prefrontal cortex is this part of our brain that's kind of up by our forehead.、And、the role of the prefrontal cortex is kind of the manager, and it's the most mature part of our brain. It can make decisions and it can assimilate information and make an assessment based on different factors. Where the amygdala just has like a no, a go no go response. Like this is bad, this is good, this is bad, this is good. One of the things that really benefits us in understanding our brain is that the amygdala is only as useful as its connection to our prefrontal cortex. So when we meditate, when we practice mindfulness, we literally build neural connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. So that when the amygdala says, "Hey, this is an emergency. There is danger here," then the prefrontal cortex can gauge it and say, "Oh, no, actually, it's just a red light and we're late and it's not a life-threatening emergency. Take a deep breath." Or like the other day, there was a hiker up in the mountains, and there was a mountain lion that started following him down the mountain, and so he had to have all his wits about him to figure out how to get down the mountain without triggering this mountain lion. Now, in that instance, the amygdala was super helpful, right? Because it gave him all the adrenaline that he needed. It gave him, you know, the ability to navigate the situation in a way that kept him safe and got him down the mountain. But again, most of the time we're not getting chased by a mountain lion, and the amygdala is super reactive. And so, needing that connection with the prefrontal cortex is something the amygdala tells us pretty consistently. Like when we're feeling really panicky, stressed out, anxious, those are signals to us that the amygdala needs a little bit of support from the prefrontal cortex because it needs to know to, how to filter what's coming through. And again, if we don't have a strong connection, the amygdala doesn't have the filter. It doesn't have the wisdom of the prefrontal cortex to tell it, "Whoa, slow down! This is just a dark night. There's nobody behind us. It's going to be fine. We don't need to be freaking out right now." You know. But then, in some instances, if we do, if we are threatened at night and we do need the amygdala, you know, it'll be there for us. And a lot of times, what I've heard is that the amygdala will just take over. Like if you have to think about the response. Then you actually don't need to make a response, but when you know in the moments when you need to have a response to a threat or a response to、um, an emergency, that your body, like your amygdala, will just take over and your body will make the response. Those are some different things to keep in mind, especially in terms of the amygdala and the brain. This idea of keeping us safe is something that's ingrained, right? So our brain's job is to keep our genetics going, it's to keep our body going, our organs functioning. You know, it's to keep our 
our genetics going. So that means like fear around our children, right? And worries about our children. Like the, the brain's job is to make sure that our genetics perpetuate for as long as possible. And then our offspring perpetuate beyond that, right? Worries that we have around our kids, super normal, right? Or our nieces, our nephews, our grandchildren, whoever, children that we love and care about. Those are all really normal. Also, they benefit from getting filtered through the prefrontal cortex, where the prefrontal cortex can say, is this really a concern that we need to have right now? Is this something that we uh, have a legitimate history with that we should be worried about? Is there any reason that this fear should be at the forefront right now? If not, we can let it go and thank the amygdala for the warning, but recognize that it's not a current threat. Understanding all those aspects of how the brain works can help us really appreciate that its efforts to keep us alive and safe are sometimes a little over the top, especially if the amygdala doesn't have a strong connection to the prefrontal cortex. And so recognize the next time you're feeling really anxious or you're feeling really stressed that it's your brain trying to do you a favor, trying to help you, and it's just letting you know that it needs a stronger connection to the manager to know if this is a worry that's legit or not. And the meditation and mindfulness exercises that we've talked about are all things that strengthen that connection, that allow the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala to have a stronger neural bond so that they can work together to keep us alive and safe without as much uh, stress or strain or undue anxiety. So those three things, there is a you that is not your brain, your brain has a personality, and your brain is trying to keep you alive and safe. Those three insights are things that can really benefit us when it comes to trying to make a team out of our body, mind, and spirit. When we can honor the place that our brain takes in our life and in our learning and in the way that we interact with the world, we can really appreciate its contributions without getting lost in it and without getting lost in the sea of things that it's trying to do. It really is trying to do its best to keep us alive and safe and happy. Once we can kind of get a feel for this brain as its own entity, we can start to use it in ways that really enhance our experience of the mind and the body. And overall, we can improve our quality of life, both from a mental health perspective and just from a experience of life perspective, because the brain has such a huge role in how we experience the world. If we can make friends with it and use it to our advantage, our experience of the world is enhanced in so many ways. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so glad you're here. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review. I would love to get more five-star reviews on the Stress Nanny podcast. So if you have a minute and could leave a review, I'd really appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you.